standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus, episode 460, coming to you on the 24th of July, 2023. And uh, the episode's a little late today. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, uh, namely traveling. <laughs> so I'm entitling this episode, so I went to Vicksburg. <laughs> so for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with the Civil War, um, and I will I will admit, even as a history major, this is the one area of study in U.S. history that I've kind of glossed over. Uh, I'll get into that later, but I got I got a did a brief background, if you will, before going, and it was called the uh, nail that holds the Confederacy together. It was called the uh, Gibraltar of the Mississippi. It was called. Uh, you know, the linchpin. I mean, there were a number of nicknames. It was so important to both sides that it was a 47-day siege led by General Grant himself with Sherman. That's how badly they wanted to take out Vicksburg. So, uh, without getting into a history lesson here, it was prime uh, interesting for me to go check it out. All right, so... As to why, well, it's the uh, last summer of my uh, daughter before she graduates from college and presumably goes off on her own, and she wanted to do a weekend. I gave her a six-hour six limit. Don't don't uh, make me drive you any further than six hours, because otherwise there won't be near enough time to enjoy ourselves and whatever we're going to do. And uh, Vicksburg made the short list, and it was recommended by a friend of ours. So I... I I knew kind of going in, it'd be interesting. Uh, You know, I'm all about history stuff, but uh, my family (laughs) merely tolerates my time in museums. So uh, that was the, that was the crux. So we, we drove out and we, we had a nice uh, weekend out there, my daughter and I, a couple interesting fun facts Um, in Mississippi. Gambling is illegal. Unless of course you're on the international waterway known as the Mississippi River, then apparently you can have casinos. So Vicksburg had a number of those. Um, at one point they had a Margaritaville, which also had a casino. Um, interestingly enough, COVID killed it, and apparently a lot of other stuff in COVID or in <laughs> in Vicksburg was uh, taken out by COVID. So um, before I get before I go any further, let me remind you that. Uh, you can help me like share and subscribe to this program right and rate and review it if you feel so inclined every little bit helps so here we go on with the program i went to vicksburg uh i kind of already told you the why i went (laughs) Uh, we'll get into that a little more but what i saw what i saw was most interesting i'd never been there before and as i said I, i am not a civil war buff i mean it's interesting, uh, the war between the states, the war of northern aggression, uh, the war of southern secession. I mean, there's so many names, so many different ways that people choose to define this. Some have even said it was the revolution continued, right? Either way, no matter how you want to apply that, Vicksburg had about 5,000 people back at, at that time period and was uber important to controlling the Mississippi. Uh, back in the time period we're talking about 1863 there was a huge hairpin turn there by huge i just mean it was it was the mississippi channel if you will did big uh 
U-turn and then loop back around the other way. And the embankment in Vicksburg was significantly higher. So you could see across the entirety of the Mississippi that made for excellent targeting. And because it was essentially a stone area there, it would take the shelling from the Union or whoever the opposition was so they could hold the Mississippi at this point. And the Union was forced to come across from the north, from the east, and from the Mississippi. And they never successfully took the city. It was surrendered because the people were starving. I mean, kind of similar to some things that we saw play out in World War One and um, World War Two, right? You just surround it and starve them out. And they have no choice. <clears throat> so I, I noticed the high bluffs. I, I, I noticed the topography. It was really nothing that I expected to see on the side of the Mississippi River because I'd never been there before. So it was quite interesting. And of course, they have a national I, park's probably not the best way to f- phrase it, maybe a memorial. Um, basically, most of the battlefield. Uh, is now a park or memorial. And the military historians, the Civil War buffs, I'm sure that they spent a lot of time here and they mark out all the Confederate and Union lines. Um, There's memorials put up by the various states. And I got to tell you, the Illinois uh, memorial's over the top, but it was beautiful and fitting. I mean, there was just... Lots of people that sacrificed their lives for their cause on both sides of the equation here, right? And we'll, we're going to cover some of that tomorrow. But the interesting thing was is the state of Wisconsin had a really cool-looking uh, memorial. And, I, I mean, I hate to look at it that way considering why it was there and what it stood for. But as far as design and layout, it was really striking. And then there were some other ones that were neat. Uh, the, the Texas one was you know, pretty on par with what you would expect, uh, but clearly outclassed by, by Wisconsin and uh, Illinois. And I think the nicest one was Arkansas. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go there and look at it. I don't know that I can do justice to it, but basically it has a vertical sword and it said nation divided by a sword uh, brought back together and healing uh, by uh, it doesn't say religion, but it says the faith. I think it was faith. I, I could look it up, but it it's just very striking when you look at it. I, re, I really think that Arkansas Memorial was uh, very understated, something to behold. So we drove through that. We uh, kind of did some tour of the different stuff downtown. It's got a nice little downtown area. Well worth the drive. They had two really good museums there that I enjoyed. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about those tomorrow as well, but I just kind of want your appetite. One was the Vicksburg kind of museum, and then the other one was the Civil War Museum. And they, they both had their pluses, for sure. Uh, the other thing I saw is, um, like I said, the former Margaritaville. Uh, looks like it would have been really something back in 2018, but 2020 killed it. Uh, but they, they've got a new hotel slash casino that's taken that slot. I don't know if it's the same thing or not, but it looks very interesting. 
And um, I guess this, this, the other thing that I kind of saw is that they have the two bridges there. One's for railroad predominantly, and it's significantly older than the road, right, for the cars to go over. But just the approach, I mean, you're coming out of Louisiana into Mississippi. And this, I guess, is essentially the deep south, if you think about it. And it was it was really interesting that basically the whole town shuts down on Sundays. And it closes pretty early. It reminds me of the old days of McKinney when I first moved here. Uh, most things were closed on Sunday, and pretty much everything rolled up the sidewalk around 7 o'clock. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just kind of the way it was. And... It's it's uh, really kind of appealing. I mean, if I had uh, a job that would allow me to relocate there, and I had money to invest, I mean, there are ton- well, I guess before we go there, let's there's let's just say there's plenty of opportunities. The other thing that I noticed the uh, the city is depressed, and. and want to say there's, I don't remember the exact number. I, I will uh, withhold. I don't remember. Uh, I had my daughter look it up for me. I will just say that it's significantly smaller than 200,000 people. And the the downtown area is really kind of cool, but 20% of the buildings are vacant. Some look like they were recently opened but shut down probably during COVID. And some look like they've been sitting empty for some time. So there, there's what I would call opportunities there. But the problem is I don't know that there's a population there. They have the casinos, um, if you will, but they're not like Vegas casinos where they're over the top. They're quasi-riverboat looking casinos. It's really neat. It's fun. But I'm not a gambler, so I didn't really spend any time in the casinos. And as a tourist area... That's all you really got other than the Civil War thing. And, you know, to me, that was the most striking. I went there and arguably this is one of the most important battles that took place during the Civil War. And, you know, that's now 160 years in the rearview mirror. And I was just kind of surprised at how well it was preserved, but the general lack of interest. And I imagine we're two complete lifetimes removed from this. And we're talking about people's great-grandparents, maybe, that were serving at that point. So I could see where that would happen. But the unique thing about this is all these monuments and memorials that were put up in remembrance of the sacrifice on both sides of this equation. And And I got this overwhelming feeling of... I guess I'd call it pain. I didn't feel pain, but I'm just, I could, it kind of impressed upon me just the sorrow of what must, what must have went on here and how this played out and, and affected the, well, our entire nation, but it was like just compressed because it was this huge major thing here. And it, it kind of sat on me while I was there. It was, it lifted, you know, after we got halfway across Louisiana, but it wasn't like a depression. It wasn't, you know, it just, I wouldn't even call it oppression. It was just like a presence, right? This negative um, presence. I, I can't think of another way to explain it. It's not like it was present in your face, but it was just like this underlying subtle pain, if you will. It was It was interesting. 
I never really experienced that. I haven't really been at too many battlefields or whatever else. So it was, it was kind of a unique experience. Now, what I learned is, well, I already told you about the 47 days. I, I told you about how they were, you know, surrounded and they held and this town held. And had they been relieved, had they been resupplied, it is likely the union would have never been successful in breaking it. I mean, that in and of itself is impressive. And without picking sides, without saying good, bad, or either way, that this small group of people that held that city did it at great odds. Now, I will tell you what I do know about military logistics is you've got to significantly outnumber defenders. You've got to have overwhelming odds against them. And, and they were present, but they still never actually took over the city. It was surrendered. And the guy Pemberton, which is the commanding general, uh, I don't know if I'd call him disgrace, but they really kind of seem to hold him a little bit in disdain, which I get it. And I think some of that stems from the idea that he surrendered on July the 4th. July the 4th of 1863, the guy surrenders to salvage what's left of these people here. And believe it or not, most of those people did go free. They were pardoned, if you will. They put their arms down and they went back to life. I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure it was, you know, no fun at all being half starved to death. I'm not sure that they were much of a threat. But the other thing that was interesting is, there were orders given to not destroy the town, not destroy these significant buildings, not to do these things, but it happened anyway. Someone maybe label those war crimes. I would say, you know, people being put in a position like that for an extended period of time, they misbehave. That's normal. I mean, armies do that. You want to keep them under control, which is why you have rules, which is why you have standing orders, but it only goes so far. And it's probably there's a wink and a nod, but, and then of course there was the whole idea where there was a surrender, right? He, he surrendered it. There's this tree with this like cannon monument where the surrender happened outside of the city. And, and from what I could tell Pemberton's like, look, my people are going to all die if I don't give up, I, I need to turn this over. So he did what he needed to do to preserve the life that was there. So after that, they, after all this said and done, they, that city did not celebrate Independence Day until after World War II. They, they said nearly 100 years. I think it was actually 83, something like that, 82. I, 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 I want to say it was 1946. If I get it wrong, you know, please don't hold me accountable for that. It's either 1945 or 1946. Dwight Eisenhower comes into town to celebrate the end of World War II. So I was probably 46. And that was the first time they celebrated Independence Day. I thought that was very interesting. Um, what I've learned from listening to Brian McClanahan and various other podcasts over the years is a good deal of all these monuments and memorials were put up to bury the hatchet, to build reconciliation, to acknowledge that both sides fought for what they thought was right. Uh, we're not here to judge the character of the men. We're not here to cast dispersions. We're going to acknowledge that it was, it was, you know, deadly. It was a bad thing, the war, but everybody thought they were doing the right thing. And there was a little grace, a little honor bestowed upon all the people that were involved in here. And what, what's sad to me is 
they're wanting to strip that away. They're wanting to pick winners and losers now. They're wanting to tear that apart again. And I just don't see how that's beneficial. I don't see how we can possibly go forward if we <laughs> try and relitigate what happened here. Whether the one side was right or wrong is no longer relevant. One side won. They rewrote the rules. The other side went along because they didn't have a choice. I mean, they had literally a boot across their neck when they agreed to these things. And we've moved on. It's been, you know, 160 years. We've moved on. There is not a single person alive today that had a parent involved in that conflict. Well, I shouldn't say that. The likelihood that there's a single person alive today that had a parent involved in that conflict is slim to none. How about that? That's as close as I'll get to saying zero. But they still want to rewrite it, re-legislate it, you know, reinterpret the events. But the fact of the matter is it was one side said, we don't want to go along with this. We're going to go our own way. And the other said, no, you can't. And then we fought a war over it. And were there issues? Were there, you know... I guess, for lack of a better word, despicable things that they were fighting over? Sure. But there are also other things they were fighting over. There were also other things that were at play and decisive and what put us to this position. And again, it doesn't justify anybody saying that that was a good thing. It just, it's what it was. And if we don't learn from those mistakes, if we don't learn to put that stuff aside, I, I fear that we're going to repeat it. You know, I've talked about the idea off and on about not wanting to go through a second civil war. I don't think I'm going to be able to have any control over that. I don't think that I'm going to be able to slow it down or prevent it. But I perhaps just by speaking on it, just by issuing the cautious tone, be careful what you wish for. Sherman learned that war was hell in that war, right? It's terrible. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. You know, our military, by certain standards, may be a joke now, but there's still plenty of people there that are very well armed that even if they're undisciplined and unfit, they would open up a can of terror on anybody who would seek to oppose them. And while our federal government may say, well, you have to have uh, F-15s and tanks to fight an effective war, well, we know that ain't true. We, we watched that play out multiple times. The insurgents just need to hold ground and chip away at things, and eventually you give up because you can't take them. I mean, the, the most important thing that you can learn is the South hanging up while there was still something left to preserve. You know, Robert E. Lee talked about that. Better to stop now while there's still something left to preserve well there's still something left of what was the south or his home state of virginia then to continue on and have everything wrecked into total devastation kind of knowing when to stop is the important lesson here right so yeah you can fight yeah you can make your good arguments you can you can dust it up but if you don't know when to say enough is enough if you don't know when to dial it down that's the kind of thing that can happen So, long story short, 
was a very, uh, in some ways sobering, but enjoyable trip that I had with my daughter. They had a couple of nice restaurants in town. They had a, you know, some, I already talked about the two really neat museums. They have, they have things to do there, but what made the trip was the museums and the going through the battlefield, um, park, I guess. It's just striking that people seem to forget that that's been done before. It was done here. It makes me really concerned that people aren't aware of this and that people don't know what went on there and they don't know why it happened and they haven't, and perhaps they've forgotten the lessons that were learned. I don't wish to go back and repeat history. I don't wish to try this again. You know, people say, well, you're sporting Texas. You know, you're just looking for no, 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 no. I believe a nation can separate peacefully. I believe that when an empire falls or when an empire comes to the end of its life cycle, it is natural for it to break up into its component parts. We are not one nation. One thing that was made clear to me is I probably have far more in common with the folks in Louisiana and Mississippi at this point in my life than I do with people in Minnesota or Illinois or New Jersey, especially California. But that doesn't mean that they aren't my brothers in quote unquote America. It just means that if you're going to look at how do we move forward, how do we deal with this? If you're going to truly decentralize, in other words, the union fails, the, the empire crumbles, how do those things realign? How do they function? Well, that that is the interesting thing, right? It's not as easy as it once was. It, it's It's not as straightforward as it could be. They talk about the Earl Road, uh, the Earl, <laughs> wow. The rural-urban divide. I think that's that's a thing. They talk about geographic, right? That that's a that's a thing. They talk about the R and the D. Well, sure, that's a thing. If you want to get some really interesting reading, go check out the uh, Civil War Two Cube by Matt Bracken. It's very educational, very interesting, and it's scary at the same thing. I'd once heard it uh, referred to as if the United States were to ever go down the path to a civil war again. It would be uh, the breakup of Yugoslavia times the uh, Rwanda experience. I don't know about you, but I would take a hard pass at what that might look like. The interesting thing is, if we don't learn about our history, if we don't learn about the previous conflicts and wars we've been involved with, People won't have a proper understanding of it. They won't have a reverence for it. They won't understand what's at stake. And they're going to be willing to make foolish decisions. They're going to be willing to have a certain amount of hubris that is just easy peasy and will be over within six weeks. I mean, if you look at how the Civil War started, they thought they'd be home in a couple of months. If you look at how World War I started, they figured it'd be over in, you know, at worst a couple of months. But what they didn't count on is they had learned from previous engagements how to fight and they turned it into an industrial war. And World War I also took the lessons learned from the Franco-Prussian War and indeed the American Civil War 
and that's in part and parcel where the idea of trench warfare comes from. They learned about those earthworks and stuff at an industrial scale. I mean, that stuff had always been around, but it was purely for defensive. They used it as part of an offensive maneuvering. I mean, it's just, it's scary when you look at this stuff or, or worse yet, the Germans had early success in World War II. So they were feeling very confident when they turned on the Soviets and, you know, maybe it would have turned out differently if they would have done a few different things. But we know that Stalin was planning on doing the same thing. It's just Uncle Adolf beat him to it. Or I shouldn't say it that way. That's kind of good old. <laughs> you know, I just it's hard to take Adolf Hitler seriously at this point in my life. I'm not sure how he thought he could really take over the whole world. But, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler decides, oh, I can beat Joseph Stalin with a punch and take him out. Well, I mean, we got the two biggest tyrants in Europe ever going at it. And it didn't work out well for either one of them, really. I mean, Hitler may have lost, but Stalin gutted everything. Now, granted, he didn't care because it didn't affect him, but he destroyed his country. He rebuilt it, but still. How how does a good leader destroy their country and count it as a good thing? I guess your name's got to be Man of Steel, Joseph Stalin. Who cares? I mean, but again, if we don't learn from these mistakes, if we don't see where the failures are, we're going to repeat them or at least do something similar that's equally destructive. You know, so that's my takeaway. That's what I learned. Every, Every person... Before they uh, go sign off from high school, I'd have a better understanding of what's at play here. I think it'd be useful for every person that enlists in the military to uh, go have to spend a weekend at one of these places and get to see what it looks like. Whether you're successful or not, what the devastation, what how that plays out, the number of people that died. I don't. I think they think it's like video games in today's day and age, and it's not. I mean, even those drone pilots in the Air Force, they got to live somewhere. Just saying. What are you going to do when that war comes home to you? That's the bigger question. All right. So tomorrow I'm going to return. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Civil War, what I learned, what my takeaways were, how that kind of fits into what, what I saw at Vicksburg. And with that, this has been According to Cows, and I will see you on the other side.